message from Rudolf Steiner was clear. Put the preps out. Put it on your lawn. Put it on your flowers. Put it on your farm, on your garden beds, on your 500 acres farm. It doesn't matter. Put the preps out. Re-educating yourself is so incredibly important because we've hit a line in the sand. Something needs to change. So you just need to get re-educated and I think new doors and new new spaces of being come into play. Welcome to this podcast series, Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia. The series was commissioned by Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited and produced by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Incorporated Australia. Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited is a not-for-profit company located in Bellingen, New South Wales. It has been making and supplying biodynamic preparations as well as supporting biodynamic growing in Australia for over 30 years. Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited values biodynamics as a practical and holistic technique that is able to regenerate soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity and work with Mother Nature. The podcast series was produced on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Gayabal, Yugara and Waka Waka First Nations peoples of the surrounding region. We pay respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nation Australians in this country and celebrate the unique contributions their cultures make to this place. And in the context of this podcast series, particularly those contributions involving Indigenous respect for and stewardship of the nature of Australia, with its attendant spiritual and practical care for country, the sovereignty of which was never ceded. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson, and I am the producer of the Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia podcast series. My guests on this episode of the series, Luigi and Nidia Marasco Bolido, are share farmers whose business, The Patch Organics, cultivates a one-acre paddock using biodynamic techniques on what used to be a holding pen for dairy cows. The Patch Organics produces herbs, vegetables and pasture-raised chicken, and the growing on The Patch occurs within the bigger certified organic 500-acre Levenvale farm, situated within beautiful rolling hill country near Bellingen, New South Wales. A written account of Luigi and Nidia's biodynamic growing experiences is contained in an associated profile booklet of all the guests interviewed for this podcast series titled Stories of Our Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia. Please see Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited's website for further details of that text publication. So, Nidia and Luigi, a very warm welcome to you both. It's great to be talking with you today. Lovely to be talking with you as well, Andrew. Good to be here. And folks, let's start the conversation by you giving us a fuller self-introduction to your biodynamic growing work. The question is, therefore, can you give us an outline of the growing you do down there at The Patch Organics and give us a bit of an overview of its location and main features? Uh, so our business, The Patch Organics, um, is um, a business where we grow biodynamic veggies, organic meat chickens and we also do workshops um, on beautiful Gumbangir country so that is uh, Bellinger, New South Wales. We share farm as you said on Levenbell farm so we cultivate a one acre paddock um, on a bigger 500 acre beef cattle farm 
Um, on that one acre paddock, um, we grow organic and biodynamic veggies. When we first came onto the property, um, it was uh, a fallowed paddock, uh, so not in use, um, overrun with kaikuya. Uh, the soil was predominantly clay soil, heavily compacted clay soil as well, on a bit of a slope. Um, it's surrounded by the Great Dividing Range as well. So Bellingen has, um, and its surrounding valleys, has a very unique microclimate um, where it might be something happening in Cops Harbour with the weather and it's completely different um, weather here in Bellingen and vice versa. Um, so we always have to, um, we can't always necessarily rely on um, the weather forecast because it's going to present very differently when where we are. Um, and what we grow on the one acre paddock is just a really diverse range of veggies, um, a little bit of what we want to grow for ourselves. Um, Luigi comes from Italy, I come from Peru, so there's a lot of, you know, wanting to grow European and Peruvian veggies, lots of potatoes on my part, um, as well as, you know, what sells well in these parts. And if there's a, a market, um, that looks promising, you know, uh, we'll try growing certain veggies there too. So, you know, whatever works really. Um, we're new to this area. We moved down from Brisbane um, just over two years ago. And so there's not only have we been learning <laughs> how, to, um, how to grow chickens and to do a commercial market garden, but it's really been a journey on understanding this particular microclimate as well learning what grows well here. And thanks for that, Nidia. I really appreciate that. Let's, you know, move, as we move through the interview, let's now get down to brass tacks, as they might say, or down to basics, and, and just talk a bit more about biodynamics specifically. And as, as we will find with other guests in this series, you know, everyone will have a slightly different take on what is a very big subject. But to go to the heart of it, from your own perspectives, in 2023, how would you describe biodynamics? What are some of its basic principles and, and the benefits of biodynamic methods as they apply in your type of growing down there at the patch organics? Well, Andrew, um, I will answer. A couple of days ago, we had an event here. It was a birthday event as Levenbell has a venue for weddings and, um, and uh, dinners and different type of events. So this one guy came, up, came across and he's like, can you explain me? We are in the middle of a heat wave. How does it come that your plants are still all up and happy? I'm like, well, well, let me explain that now. I won't right here what I told him, but our plants look completely different from uh, other plants around us. Um, and while time and effort regenerating the soil is definitely a big influence, I don't think we could have reached the quality we have achieved as fast as we have if it hasn't if it wasn't for a use of biodynamic preps and practices. Now, another thing is that biodynamic uh, in, in some form is a form of um, physically practicing anthroposophy. So now we're here entering a, a more spiritual um, world. And uh, in essence, uh, in the agriculture, in the agriculture um, teachings from Steiner, he was very specific saying that primary producer should produce food for humans. And when he says food for humans, 
It means that it's a type of food, nutrient-dense, uh, with so many, you know, they all say food is medicine, with so many vitamins and packed with uh, antioxidants and all sorts of minerals we need, that it actually, what it does, it triggers, eating this type of food, it triggers the self-healing properties of a human being. So in other words, we actually don't get sick. When was the last time we got sick? It was quite a while ago. Mm. Fully sick, fully sick a long time ago, yeah. So um, what are the benefits? Well, the plants perform better. And so uh, as a consequence, the business performs better. Our family perform, performs better. Our uh, finance performs better. And our health performs better. So that, that's, that's more than enough for me. I, yeah, I will not use, I wouldn't not use biodynamic. You definitely got to use it. Luigi, fantastic to hear all that. You know, you laid out a smorgasbord, no pun intended, of uh, benefits there. Uh, you know, high nutrient density food, better health and financial outcomes. You started to answer the next question. Uh, question that I was going to put to you folks, which is how do you think some of the biodynamic growing principles, you you know, contrast the ones you've just described, how do they contrast to more conventional growing methods? Uh, you already mentioned that hydration aspect, you know, that your plants are healthier, you know, even in, in drought conditions. But do you want to say a bit more, either, either one of you folks say want a bit more about that, how those biodynamic methods contrast to more conventional growing? Well, look, we all nowadays understand, or a lot of us understand this uh, issue we're having with synthetic chemicals uh, that we add to our food. Uh, so I'll try and say it this way. Most farmers, unfortunately, so let's put it in context to one thing. I just want to say this thing. We have met no farmers that don't care about their land. It doesn't matter if it's conventional farming, organic farming, biodynamic farming. Each single farmer, no matter the practices they use to make their wage, they actually do care about their land. So I just want to make sure I'm saying this. I don't want uh, my words to be uh, misunderstood. Now, in saying that, we have to understand that conventional farming, the approach of conventional farming basically is waking up in the morning and opening the wardrobe with the question, what am I going to kill today? Which one is the pest? that is killing my crop. What's happening? When uh, our way of farming, we wake up in the morning and we're like, what about we try and grow something today instead of killing something? So now what we're talking about here is that with the synthetic chemicals farming industry, we try to kill whatever, the caterpillar or the, or the cabbage moth or whatever little insects, it's actually sort of giving us pain. But what are we killing at the same time while spraying the synthetic chemical? So now what I want to say is uh, that we're killing the soil. And so we're going back in the main issue here. What are primary producers farming? Well, I tell you now, Andrew, we're all farming the same thing. We're all farming soil. Now, the produce we get out of their land, out of their soil, it can be different from one to the other, but we are all farming soil. I want to be strong on this spot, on this topic. Yeah, so it doesn't matter whether you're growing beef or chickens or veggies, 
we're all soil farmers um, inherently, and that is a primary difference. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's going to stay that way um, for too much longer. I think that there's a, so much soil science coming out now that it's just overwhelming um, that it's it it's really hard if you're a farmer to um, continue um, the the cocktail mixes of of um, chemical pesticides um, and you know say that that that's um, the best way that you treat your soil if you want a sustainable business into the future. Um, but yeah, you know, that's the main differentiator between what we're doing and conventional farming is that, um, we're working towards increased biology into the, in the soil. Um, and then as an outcome, as a very, um, beneficial outcome to our health and to our community, um, we're also getting, um, super healthy plants. Now that relationship, how does that happen? Um, it's mainly about understanding the role of the biology in our soils and feeding, um, literally er, er, all the practices that we do, that we implement, feeds uh, the soil bacteria, the soil microbiota. Um, these microbes thrive on a diversity um, of food. You know, um, the minerals that we add are inherent in the soil um, as well as all of the, you know, um, yeah, extra food, the roots, the root system, the diverse root systems that we add on there, and the bacteria eat all of that up um, and the plants benefit as a consequence. When the plants benefit as a consequence, we grow healthier plants. We're growing um, more nutritious plants. Um, because they're healthier and happier, that means that they're naturally pest resi resilient as well, which reduces our need to then apply even more chemicals to get rid of that particular pest that we want to get rid of. And then once you increase the health of the plant because you've increased the health of your soil, then you as a, as a consumer are then increasing your own personal health of yourself and your family. You know, they say that the word organics um, comes from organism because, again, fundamentally it's all about the soil microbiology and making sure that you're farming that and creating as healthy soil as possible. So, yeah, no, it's uh, from my understanding, in fact, uh, what I was saying before, lots of conventional farmers, they try to control nature by killing the one insects they don't like uh where the way we actually see it the way we see how we definitely as permaculturists we try and understand how nature works so that's what we're trying to replicate in our little one acre patch uh, and how nature works is that pests uh whatever in whatever form they actually come to get rid of what's already sick there. Uh, so what we he what we do here, we add enough biology through composties, biodynamics preps. Uh, all our vermicast have the uh, biodynamic composting balls. All our uh, composties have the composting balls in answers in. Uh, so what we try to do with minerals and biology is to actually boost the immune system of the plant to be so healthy, so the pest doesn't need to come and get rid of it. Nature doesn't want to get rid of it. It actually makes it thrive. So I guess that's a new approach of also the pest management uh, we do it. Very hard to apply this type of concept in big scale uh, monocrop. 
nature doesn't work that way. So yeah, I guess uh, yeah, we're lucky the way we're going. Everything is thriving well. It's a lot of work. I mean, you know, like we grow weeds as well, but it, I think it's just about a mental perspective. It's the way you think about your yield and I guess your your role as a farmer. You know, yes, we're growing weeds, but then that means that you're growing a diverse species. Um, and, you know, like every weed has a role to play. Um, same with what Luigi said, you know, every pest has a role to play. Um, so it's only a problem if it's out of balance. So that's definitely um, one of our strong learnings from our permaculture studies as well. You know, what role is that um, uh, fauna or flora playing? Um, what are the many functions that it has to play? It's very much a thinking game as much as it is, um, you know, just farming. Just to add uh, one last thing on this one is uh, the difference between conventional farming and uh, our type of farming. So between all the pests that we have encountered in the last two years, I'm pretty sure they know all of them, but for all what we have encountered, there was this one pest that we couldn't control, and it's the uh, stink bug. Uh, he attacks our tomatoes, he attacks our eggplants, and it just like uh, destroys the crops. So let's say a conventional farming approach would be to go to the shop and see which chemical would basically kill this bug, and then spray the chemical, kill the bug, done. What we have done is to go into our research of what predator insect eats this bug. Now we have found the predator insect. So what we go and research is what habitat we can create to attract this predatory insect. Well, now that's our pest management. We didn't buy any chemical. We actually allowed nature in. Obviously, after a bit of research and try to understand the situation. So I guess that's another, another main differentiator is that our style of farming is additive. We add, add, add um, in an effort to solve a perceived problem. Uh, whereas conventional farmative farming is um, detracting you know you take 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 away um through various tools such as pesticides very rich section there folks it'd be impossible to summarize that i'm not going to try but i'm just going to riff off what you've said there take a few points out and again and this, these are some common themes that i've heard in the other interviews in this series but they're all slightly um posed in a different way but that much closer focus that biodynamics brings, much closer focus on and concern for the soil. Well, not just the soil, the entire landscape, but we've been talking about the soil there. Seen, the soil is seen as a living community that has to be worked with. It's almost that sort of collaborative sort of theme that's come across some other interviews. You know, you don't whack it over the head. You don't try and control it with chemical inputs. There isn't a quick fix or a technical fix. I mean, this is one of the, 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 the major differentiation points. But in that closer intentional, I've heard the term intentional used quite often, intentional focus on, you know, these living communities, you do find solutions. Um, and they're, they're more sustainable solutions. They're longer lasting solutions in the long term because you're not destroying the very basis of that very intricate community of life that you're working with and that's that's part of that regenerative agriculture 
um, approach generally. I mean, whether it be permaculture, organics, or whatever. Um, I, I also am just thinking that you know, that, uh, Luigi mentioned right back at the beginning of that section the fact that all farmers want to do the best for their land, get the best from their properties, that do the right thing. I, I think you know, at a bigger picture level, what we're talking about here is increasingly a change of mindset in the way that we approach agriculture. I mean, these conventional methods have been around for a long time, you know, decades, even hundreds of years, and nothing changes quickly. But, you know, these these new ideas, these more harmonious nature, supportive ideas of growing agriculture are coming in. And you've just given us a, a marvellous, you know, sort of range of ideas around that. Yeah, it's a, it's a structural change as much as an internal mind shift change. You know, when you go to ag school, um, you get given a what you think is a great education. And if the education system is telling you that these are the methods that you use to produce a crop, then that's what you do. And when yield is the main outcome uh, that in, in agriculture, in today's agriculture, to prove to you that you are either a good farmer or not, um, then that's the metric that you use to say that you're doing good or not, but then apply that same methodology over 50 years and all you see is a deteriorating landscape, then things have to change and also ag schools have to accept new science. And, well, that is what's happening. That is what's happening and things are changing, which is, you know, fantastic. Yeah, well made. That point is well made. So let's change the perspective now slightly um, and let's go back in time. You know, past, present, future. We're going to be moving around these uh, different time frames in this interview. Let's go back to the very beginning for you two, and how you first became involved with biodynamic growing. So, give us a bit of your background story here. Uh, for instance, did you experience a gradual or a sudden shift towards biodynamic work? Were there any um, early influential mentors or influences of significance? And what resources did you tap into to help build up your clearly growing knowledge and expertise in biodynamics over time? For us, um, biodynamic was a solution, uh, a solution to a major problem we had. So let's put it in context again. Uh, we start our business, uh, basically the excavation of the terraces, first half acre, uh, it happened in September. We invested a lot of our savings, and so we were very, very keen to get straight into production and start converting some of those veggies into, into coins again. Um, and we did. In December, January, we already had uh, producers on the stall at the markets, and we were already very small producers, not the best quality, year one, but we had some producers there. What happened uh, a few weeks later, we got the 2021 floods in. So they basically killed, nearly killed our business, but definitely killed uh, our uh, market garden. So we are now in April. Uh, my wife is giving birth to our first baby. Uh, we have a dead business, very low savings. Uh, and I have to find a solution to get back into production now. Uh, so I start looking for solutions. And I remember one year before I have met this guy. His name was Mark Pye. And you're a very happy guy, um, very experienced in farming, always been around here. And so we started talking, and uh, he was a very successful farmer. I had been in his farm. I saw his producers were so beautiful. So he was one of the first 
uh, people that I approach and be like, man, I have this problem here. What do I do here? And he's like, look, first thing, uh, as everyone else here, your soil most likely now is anaerobic. So you really need to reoxygenate and re-aerate the whole thing. But second thing, I will just like spring the, the life force by using biodynamic like Stradway. And so I'm like, all right, all right, that's the advice. And he's like, by the way, is there you have any a bit of time to help us uh, a biodynamic? And I'm like, that's right. I guess I can volunteer half day, um, you know, in exchange of all these beautiful advices you're giving us. So that's where I met. So his name Mark Pai. Uh, he was one of uh, uh, biodynamic BAA uh, workers, and together with uh, John Hutchinson, they became my mentors for uh, for the patch organics for the market garden. Um, so it was a very sudden change to biodynamics as I was searching for a solution and I started applying it. The change, it was so visible and so quick. I may add one point here. Small uh, scale gardens, most likely they see biodynamic uh, result in uh, within months. Bigger scale farming like Levenbell here, uh, 500 acres, they're going to see some difference within the three to five years. So that's different scale. So you can expect that in a, in a big scale farming. But in a small scale farm as our patch, uh, we saw the difference within uh, months. And so we, we applied more. And so as I was, as I was uh, volunteering at uh, BAA, uh, they will give me more advices and more information. So there was a consistent learning for me. Uh, uh, and having access to the preparations from there, uh, that was basically how we started. And we had been wanting to do to get educated in biodynamics the year prior, um, but we were in the middle of COVID um, the year prior. And so all of the workshops that BAA was trying to get off the ground, they were just being cancelled or, you know, were not able to be had so so you know we already were interested um but this was kind of like a push in the deep end of the pool for luigi um and at the perfect time i guess um to go straight in there um with these mentors sorry baby continue <laughs> so the how I started is, uh, I guess, how everyone should start. We did apply uh, soil activator, which is a, a specific preparations created and developed and produced by the PAA. Very powerful stuff, they want. Uh, so definitely that's how we started with. Uh, but straight after my second tool that I got from them, it was uh, an astro calendar. My life was messy at this stage. I had a newborn baby, first baby, and you basically big jump in the unknown uh, of, of what's going on. Uh, I need to get back into production as soon as I can. I really need to be smart in scheduling my time. I really can't waste uh, at that stage, not even days. So I go, got myself a calendar, and uh, I will sow when the calendar say, I will transplant when the calendar say so, and I wouldn't do when the calendar wouldn't say so. Um, that was uh, very efficient. I have to say that, yeah, they, they made the garden more efficient, my life, my, mm. my farming activity. Yeah, be because we essentially went from two farm workers to just one 
you know, Luigi um, and this business um, in its infancy had to support a small family now. Uh, so, yeah, it was a very stressful time as well. So obviously from that was about uh, expanding to more preparations and just uh, applying more of this, more of that, see how it works. And then I get into the curiosity. So I'm now into the field of curiosity. I start using the preparations and, um, and, and see how they turn out. Um, Mark Pye and John Hutchinson, um, they are my mentors. I keep calling them. Uh, John, well, I see him every week. Uh, BAA. Mark is now in Montamborin, but we chat like very often. Um, because, uh, this is one of the other things. Um, what are we doing about biodynamics knowledge? Where is getting lost? And this is a big problem. So, what I'm trying to do in my little world is to uh, keep this knowledge alive. Uh, basically, uh, I'm letting John and Mark and all the, uh, the, the wise ones passing the knowledge to us, the young ones, uh, so we can keep it and we can keep practicing it. Now, after John and Mark, uh, here on Levenvale, last year, I was offered a ticket for a two-day biodynamic course run by uh, Amish Mackay and Charlie Arnold. Uh, my surprise was they are um, another uh, prep preparation making uh, association or something. I don't know what type of model they are, but there are more people around us uh, that do biodynamics, and, I, and I'm meeting more and more. Uh, around us and um, yeah I can't wait to find any other one and give them a hug and a big thank uh, for using biodynamics and producing food for humans well folks um, Luigi particularly you know really inspiring story there a story of you know of young pine younger pioneers coming into a, a new field of endeavor new work pra practice juggling many balls uh, many different stresses going on at the time extreme weather birth of a first child, pandemic in the background. Um, your business was in its, I mean, to give it a bit of a pun, your business was in its infancy and you just welcomed, you know, a new human infant into your family. But nonetheless, you, you know, you were able, and I've heard again, I've heard this from other uh, interviews in this series, you were able to tap into the generosity of other biodynamic growers. Um, biodynamic growers uh, and uh, practitioners seem to be very prepared to offer their advice this is what I've been hearing, offer their advice and guidance um, to people coming into the, the, the actual form of growing. Also, just that very rapid improvement when you did pick, uh, pick up this advice, when you did start you know, using those preparations, when you did start using for you these very new methods, you, were, you saw a very rapid improvement uh, uh, in your soils, in your growing abilities at the scale of the property that you, you, you're working on there. But I've, I've heard this also and read about this, that biodynamics has the capacity to regenerate soils over quite a short time period in comparative terms. I mean, three to five years to regenerate soil, which as I understand it as a layperson uh, with not a great deal of experience is still a pretty rapid uh, turnover to be able to regenerate degraded soils, get them back to health. So, I mean, this is the promise of biodynamics in a bigger picture as part of that rainbow spectrum of regenerative methods that we can restore perhaps very large areas of uh, degraded soil in the future that's certainly the message of 
other you know pioneers in different uh, areas like Charles Massey, that book Call of the Reed Warbler, uh, where he, he he goes through a whole series of case studies of different approaches to regenerative agriculture. But the the promise of that this these methods, be they biodynamic or otherwise, have, have great um, potential to restore soils. And then you mentioned some of the movers and shakers there that you've also encountered both at uh, Biodynamics Agriculture Australia, John Hodgkinson, but also in that wider field. Um, Charlie Arnott, who in fact has his own podcast series that's well worth a listen, and I'm going to put references to to that in the show notes. So folks, as we work work through this very um, rich interview, that was a very rich section as well. We are going to hear more about the biodynamic methods you uh, use there at the Patch Organics, but I know that you actually, talking about the influences you've come under, you've got more to say about that. Yeah, I just uh, I just wanted to touch back on um, what you said before, the ge- generosity of our community within, um, in biodynamics to share the knowledge. And I think that has a lot to do with um, the history of biodynamics and how it first came about. Um, you know, it was it was create, created, it was channeled by Rudolf Steiner as an answer. It was basically a post-war response um post-war response it was um after world war one and he wanted to heal the land um you know a whole bunch of um um um, like an ag group went up to him asking asking him for advice but he could also hear um the land needing to be healed after the destruction of world war one and so there is a deep understanding amongst um, more spiritually um, practicing biodynamic, uh, the more spiritually practicing biodynamic community that the preps need to be um, sprayed across more land um, in order to heal the land. And that work should have been finished by now if we wanted to um, follow Steiner's initial goals. Uh, but it still it still needs to happen. Um, so that that's where the generosity comes from because the more people apply biodynamics into the property, the more the land heals or regenerates. And it which, was in uh, it was when in uh, in the seventies that permaculture came through uh, with this huge research from Bill Mollison and his assistant David Holmgren. Well, David Holmgren, when they uh, sort of develop the three ethics of permaculture, the care for the people, the care for the land, and the fair share, well, David Holmgren has identified biodynamic as the best tool to care for the land. So that was like the basics of it. Mm. Uh, so they're very interesting that more and more people, more and more research come in and say, hey, Shouldn't you do that? So um, during that time, because I had just had a baby, I was I was very vague, you know, in the throes of postpartum. Um, but Luigi, when he gets obsessed over something, he goes full deep. And so uh, he was he started reading the agricultural manual. Is that what it's called? Um, yeah. Um, created by Rudolf Steiner, which is just a series of his lectures to this ag group that he was consulting for at the time. Um, and then also soon after that, he started working at Biodynamics Australia. He still is working for Biodynamics Australia to this day. And just to just to give the timeline there, folks, I'm assuming this was, would have been around 2021 period, something around that time. So April 2022, we started applying Biodynamics. Oh, yes. 
I love that basic, that historical background. I'm a fan of the history of ideas, you know, situating biodynamics, you know, in, to in the total history of the evolution of the thought that's created it. I'm very, very interested in that reference, that lovely reference to permaculture, pioneers, Holmgren and Mollison. We'll put a we'll put a link to some of their works in the show notes as well. And, you know, just continuing that theme, we will come back to that sort of set, uh, spiritual cosmic aspect of Steiner's particular enthusiasms around it, attempting to heal the massive devastation caused by World War One that, that, amongst other things, devastated huge areas of agricultural growing um, in Europe. But just staying now but in, in 2023, coming back to 2023 specifically and, and the last couple of years, the work that you've done on the patch organics, those biodynamic methods that you have been talking about already in outline, do you want to say, tell us a bit more about that? Tell us a bit more about those specific uh, methods and approaches that you have brought to help regenerate and restore the biology of your soil to such great beneficial outcomes. Well, first of all, we started with the basics. So the basics of biodynamics is a soil application. Uh, so that's something that works under the ground. And atmospheric spray, so that's something that works uh, between the atmosphere and, and the ground, so just above the plants. Uh, so they're the basics. But then from there, I'm a very curious person, as Nidia was saying before, I like to dig deep. And in fact, I want to say also this other thing, uh, prove me wrong. <laughs> Whatever I'm saying, please prove me wrong. This is real science. So the moment you can prove me wrong, we now call it scientific. So be very skeptical and go out there and prove me wrong and come back and say you couldn't. <laughs> so from there, I started running all my little experiments. Uh, so first of all, um, we here talking about life force. And so how you enhance life force, uh, it's not just in your vermicast tank, but it's the whole of the land where you farm and even around you, if it's the case. So, including uh, yourself, including yourself, you're part of the land, yeah, 100%. Uh, some of the tests I ran was, for example, I do include combined into uh, my seedling mix, and there was like a huge, massive difference where now I have zucchini germinating within five days and like producing within four weeks, not even. That's something incredible. Uh, I started using uh, combined also on during the transplant. Um, I actually, there is a bit more to it. Um, I was told by Mark uh, to use um, seaweed uh, when transplanting. And he was claiming uh, that it is a sort of a tonic for the roots. So the roots go under less stress mm -hmm. once they get uh, soaked into seaweed. Now, obviously, we're talking about biodynamic seaweed. So that's seaweed enhanced uh, with the biodynamic uh, composting balls. Uh, and so I did that. And what I have discovered, so beforehand, I will transplant uh, the plant from the greenhouse down into the field, and it will take up to 10 days to actually establish so that's 10 days there that I'm looking at this plant and I'm waiting for it. And then I started using seaweed, as Mark suggested, and the period is shrunk to seven days. So now the plant established much earlier. And so one day I had a little bit of combined in my jar. I'm like, I want to try instead of seaweed to use combined instead. They just instantly established. So don't even lose one day. So all of a sudden here, 
I'm saving sometimes up to two weeks in production. So let's talk about early crops. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how we get them. And a uh, higher higher rate of transplant success. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not many plants. And then I went back to Mark saying, hey, that's what I'm, uh, what I'm discovering in my little tests. What do you think about it? He's like, look, I think that's very possible because at the end, the combined is, yes, the seaweed, but we also add a little bit of liquid fish. So you actually also, not just giving the vitamins to the roots, but the instant straight food for them. So they are actually establishing mm -hmm. instantly. Uh, how great is that? Now, another thing I would like to say is that, yes, um, uh, we can buy all the preparations from different providers, um, obviously BAA, but uh, if we can, we should try and also make some on site. So we are very uh, much fan of what it used to be called Cowpat Pit, a uh, very fun name. Um, we now more commonly call it manure concentrate. So manure concentrate, it has basically, it's fermented manure in a pit. Uh, you go, you go or if you can, buy the ingredients from BAA as they come in a cowpat kit, cowpat pit kit, sorry about that. <laughs> um, and it will come with the calcium, uh, eggshells, it will come with the equisidum, it will come with the uh, palagonite dust, and it will come with uh, all the preparations in the kit that are needed for it. So here on site, we have two uh, manure concentrate pits uh, that we keep on using um, as we go. So, and we use it for our workshops as well. So we use one um, and then uh, we fill it up and as the ferments, we just use the other one. So we are definitely adding way more biodynamic preps than the recommended um, uh, dose. But look, let's talk about numbers a bit. I think a cowpat pit kit cost maybe, I don't know, three or $400. And it will give me basically the fertility for a whole cycle of veggies of a season. So what are we talking there? 20, 30,000? So what about in and out? You know, so uh, very cheap fertilizer the way I see it, but very powerful. So thanks mm -hmm. for being cheap. What can I say? And um, the more important thing about doing your own preparations is um, the fact that you are taking a holistic view in your garden um in mind by including yourself um as a gardener you know it, um luigi will talk in a second about intention but intention is so important when it comes to the practice of biodynamics um it's so important that we've you know we've really started integrating it into our daily life as well you know so yes you can you know um different biodynamic organizations make life easier for everyone by creating the preparations themselves on scale and that is the best way to get these preparations out on land in the fastest way possible um, but when you have your own intention in the preparations that that you have created yourself when you've stirred your own water when you've fermented um, when you've actually taken the time to do that it, I think it lends to a very um, yeah far more connected way of tending to your soil
And that last comment, Nidia, and just uh, we are now, you know, moving quite nicely, segueing, as they say, isn't it, in the case of the expression, um, into this next question around the more spiritual cosmic elements of biodynamic practice. But just to stay with Luigi's comments there for a moment, I mean, that, that very interesting set of anecdotes about your experiments. I mean, you're taking this, this is my understanding as a layperson, you're taking the this sort of like purest methodology of biodynamic practice. You, you mentioned... For instance, Steiner's agricultural lectures back from the 1920s, early 1920s, um, the, the, those principles have been, as they would unsurprisingly be, adopted and adapted over the last hundred years. People have been doing experiments, including yourself, but you're demonstrating the proof of the basic biodynamic principles. You're not just you know, sitting back and saying, um, I'm, this is an article of faith, I'm taking this as uh, a given, but you've gone out there. And you've done your own experiments and you've tweaked and you've adapted. And guess what? You've found that, you know, you haven't been disproved wrong. I mean, you, in other words, the, the hypothesis hasn't been falsified. Therefore, this stuff works. You've got the actual concrete demonstration on the ground in front of your face. And I've heard this with other growers as well. They've, they've used the basic principles, but they've adapted and tweaked them to the, the set circumstances of their own growing situation in 2023. Also, just that comment about, the lower cost of preparations it is a economic no-brainer perhaps might be as a layperson looking at this uh, compared to the huge cost like the fertilizer bill of conventional farmers again heard heard some stories about this um you know in other interviews compared to the relatively um, cheap cost of biodynamic preparations because essentially they're inoculations they're not they're not additives as such they're inoculating the soil biology as opposed to whacking loads of stuff on top of it and and Nidja's comment, you know, I, I just think um, the uh, that you know, from an environmental science point of view, looking at this at a bigger picture, I'm always trying to make sense of you know the stuff I'm I'm thinking about and talking through with guests. This holism principle, once again, of everything being joined to everything else, the social is joined to the economic, which is joined to the environmental. We're now going to come on and talk about intention which I see as a sort of unpacking a bit of that social bottom line. Uh, Nidia, you were talking there about the personal. You've got to, as a as a biodynamic grower, my understanding, growing understanding, no pun intended, as I've gone through this in these interviews, is you have to be aware of yourself as well. You what you bring as an individual human being to the growing experience. So this leads into this bigger picture cosmic spiritual aspect of biodynamics, which I think uh, my understanding is it makes it more or less unique. It differentiates it from the other regenerative approaches to growing. Let's hear your take on this, though. What's been your experiences of that more spiritual uh, cosmic aspect that Rudolf Steiner brought into the principles of biodynamics right back in the day when he was talking in the early 1920s? In, in 2023, what's your take on those now? So before biodynamics, um, so I'm, I'm going to try and connect it back, but before biodynamics, before we even became, um, you know, moved down to Bellingham and became market gardeners, both Luigi and I had started a journey of personal development and trying to um, create a reality into our future where we felt a lot more connected with our, with um, with the land and that we grew our spirituality. Um, and. At that time, we were quite spiritually, well, I was anyway, quite spiritually sceptic. Um, but Luigi had already started um, on that path. But we were seeking something. We were seeking guidance. And we actually fell into, well, when we learned about biodynamics, I think at the time we didn't know it was connected 
to anthroposophy. We had started learning about anthroposophy and we knew we wanted to start a family. We knew that Rudolf Steiner was connected to um, the Waldorf School, so Rudolf Steiner Education. Um, but it was later on that we also realised that Rudolf Steiner was, was um, responsible for um, biodynamics. Um, so essentially all of these streams, all of these branches come from a central core, which is anthroposophy. And anthroposophy is, I, for us anyway, uh, I guess the the map or the answer to creating a more spiritual life um, that's more connected um, and bringing ritual and uh, different practices back in. We're still studying. It's, it's <laughs> we're still embodying it. Um, uh, but we've noticed, or I've noticed in particular, that um, lots of little practices that we've been doing in the market garden, practicing biodynamics, um, like, for example, the practice of stirring, um, you know, which is so incredibly important, the stirring of the water, um, has connections to, you know, a documentary we saw together ages ago before we became commercial market gardens uh, gardeners. It was this... Um, uh, it was in Japan, right? Yeah, documentary called, I think his name was um, Imoto, Masamori, Masamaru Imoto. Um, and he was a, um, he was just doing like this massive research on water and um, his hypothesis is that the water had consciousness or memory and that um, it responded to intention. It even responded to you writing on a piece of paper a positive word or a negative word, and the water crystals um, under a microscope would change. Um, you know, and then there's a, a lot of a lot of information and a lot of um, uh, research on you know structured water um, now nowadays and how important that is that is for um, um, for your for for biology health, yeah. for our human health, and so. You know, so through um, and our studies in anthroposophy, you know, that definitely has a lot to do with intention. Um, through our past, you know, interest in, you know, do documentaries, again, you know, like this, this word intention is so strong. Um, and then even at, like from a personal level in the home, I found myself when, when we had our baby girl, that I started to create a prayer or like a spell every single time I bathed her. Um, and the intention behind that was basically to introduce my baby my baby girl to this body of water, wherever that body of water may end up. You know, maybe it might end up connecting to the greater body of water out there that then connects us all in the world. I just really wanted water to know my baby. And I found myself repeating this prayer over and over again um, in those early weeks. And I should probably do it again <laughs> um, because I've stopped. But that was just really a really, really strong calling for me to do. And I think, I think for us, biodynamics is this practice of spirituality that you don't realise you're doing, but it does fundamentally connect you. And it does fundamentally create you more create create um, make you sorry make you more spiritual as a consequence of, um, and I think when those gates are opened, then if you hadn't gone in um, learn if you didn't know about anthroposophy, you will eventually go into anthroposophy and then start that spiritual journey on a deeper level.
So just uh, to add a couple of things about the steering, um, first of all, one of the first things I was impressed, again, talking about spirituality, right? which is something that you can explain, there is a difference between uh, when you start steering this bucket of water and when you and 20 minutes later. Uh, my, my experience in regards was with Valerian. Uh, the water after the 20 minutes uh, steering is different, is silky, is smooth, is warmer. Uh, there is such a, a change that you can feel on your hand. So now, obviously, because of the scale we we're doing, we did buy a little flow form uh, that does the steering for us, but I still do the steering in a bucket when I can, just for the feeling of it. It's really nice to do so. Another uh, point that I wanted to add on the steering of the water and on the memory. So let's say this way. Once we know through Masaru Emoto, uh, water scientific research, which is out there and been published, so once we know uh, the effect that certain energies have on water, can we think, like, for example, in East Europe right now, what type of energies do we have in Ukraine, for example, where humans are killing other humans? The water is seeing this. The water is feeling all those chemicals, mm. all those bombing, all this death and blood. All this fear. This water is going to keep the memory until the day someone is going to reset it again. So here we are. How many damages and very evil stuff have we done, human species, especially after the Industrial Revolution to now? So here is, again, the importance of um, resetting our water before we even use it. So um, just uh, another quick point there. Uh, and, and backwards, so that's like outside coming in, but in the, re in the same frame, resetting ourselves before we send it away again. Yeah. Because we want to send out positively charged water. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, in fact, all the water that is running off full chemical, synthetic chemical farming, well, this water is getting an imprinting from that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll leave it there. Don't go to deep enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Luigi and uh, Nidia, thanks again. You know, a fascinating section there on that co cosmic and spiritual aspect of biodynamics, bringing in that wider philosophy of anthroposophy. I'll put some links in the show notes to that. But again, I, I mean, just trying to summarize the impossible there in the sense of, of so many different strands interacting. But I've heard, again, this theme coming through the various interviews in this series of this very important contribution that biodynamics makes to people's interest. It may have already been pre-existing, but it seems to be, be given an extra boost through uh, coming through biodynamic growing around this idea of personal growth and development, a personal philosophical position, finding out more about yourself. That spiritual growth, spirit in in the sense of energy, energy, uh, not spirit in the sense of a religious practice, but be, becoming more aware of the fact that we're embedded in a wider world of energies. The nature around us is full of energies, almost um, reminiscent to me of an indigenous worldview. That ability of indigenous people, at least before pre-colonization, to understand that they were a living part of the world. They weren't separate from it. 
And so this equivalence of themselves as humans with all of the organisms and the other than human beings around them, be they trees, plants, insects, birds, et cetera, et cetera, there's almost that need to find a new way for the world to be sacred again, to find and tap into those energies, realizing, as perhaps Luigi, you mentioned, by doing the opposite, by denying all those connections, by trashing them, what sort of world have we created? We've created a world of negative energies, uh, of viciousness, of violence, of um, aggression, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, very, very interested to hear that. But again, interesting to hear that biodynamics, there's something about it as a practice that brings that to the fore for, for most people who come into the growing practice. You, you don't have to understand that, but it seems that it has automatically produced that for people. I don't know whether you'd... you'd yeah, you'd I definitely agree with, agree with that. I think there's something to do with... Uh you know, when you embody something and when you practice it in your body and it becomes like a, yeah, um, a re repetitive, it becomes repetitive, I think there is a more of a subconscious connection that's happening that you as a con conscious being can know. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of um, intelligence in the body. It doesn't just live in the brain. A lot of intelligence in the body. I mean, I personally experienced it when I had Scylla that all of my perspectives on uh, nurture versus nature were kind of, you know, went out the window because I realised that my body outside of me and my own intelligence had just knew what to do <laughs> um, and I found a newfound respect um, and then a deep trust for, for my body. Um, I was calling... I was calling from many aspects that were beyond my own conscious intelligence. And so, and that works, that works the other way as well. Even if you're not consciously doing something with your body, your body's just doing it. I think it connects to something deeper. And if you do start, start following anthroposophy, then the idea that we are spiritual connected beings is, you know, like it's basically the, the, the center um, of anthroposophy um, and so that, that there's something more that there's something more that we're doing that we're something more to our humanity and that there's something more with the connections that we're creating with with the things that we touch and the things that we do um, uh, yes and yeah it, intention again intention is is the word um, I think it, when you don't you don't have to be growing plants necessarily you know it's in everything that you do you're growing beef we grow chickens as well Again, it's the it's about what we consume and the kind of positive energy that that product has, um, and therefore the benefits that we have in consuming something that has positive energy with positive intentions. And I also think just to round that off. I mean, you're you're growing chickens, you're growing crops, you're also growing children, and I think in the sense of you know that future generations, you know, harking back to perhaps those comments, Luigi, you know, um, war zones and stuff. We need as a human culture to find better ways of living on the planet uh, with ourselves, between ourselves, but also with the natural world around us if we are going to you know, make it for a civilized society for the long term. Isn't it too sad to look a kid like my daughter, one year and a half old, and I know that if we keep going this way, she won't have fertility in the soil. She won't be able to grow healthy food. So how can you look a kid now knowing this and doing nothing that's 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 not humane yeah species continuing to cultivate 
in a conventional form. Mm. Not we personally, because we're trying to do everything that we can <laughs> to ensure that she does have healthy soils. Let's just round this section off, folks. Perhaps another way of putting this is, look, we don't know what we don't know. And perhaps it it would be incumbent on all of us to be more explorative, more curious, more inspired, and frankly, more brave to go out and find out more about what we don't know, as you two have patently done Mm. down on the patch organics. So, folks, again, you know, that just amazing section there. Look, moving toward the end of this wonderful interview, Let's change focus once again. We've just been talking about the bigger picture aspects of biodynamic practice and also linking to even bigger picture elements such as anthroposophy, you know, as a philosophy, as a, as a way of actually being a better way of being in the world as human beings. But we know that, you know, achieving any sort of reform, progressive reform, beneficial change rarely happens easily in human society. And you know, we all at some stage tend to find that we come up against challenges, uh, difficulties, pushback around the ideas that we're trying to put forward or the practices we're trying to instill or, you know, whatever benefits we're trying to bring forth in the world. So bringing it all the way back, the discussion right back down to the Patch Organics 2023, you working down there in Bellingen, what have been some of the challenges you've had to overcome on that small but very highly productive area of land that you cultivate? Uh, and what are are the challenges that you might still be working to overcome down there? Oh, challenges, challenges. I may challenge the question here. As uh, in 2023, we didn't have actually challenges. Our challenge and why we started biodynamic, it was because of the floods. Uh, I actually will say different. Let's say that the floods uh, allow us to start biodynamics then. If it wasn't for the floods, we would have started it anyway. Uh, we just don't know when. So biodynamic is a practice, or it's supposed to be a practice of farming. Uh, you don't apply biodynamics because you have a challenge. You can, and it will work, but what about we use biodynamic as a farming practice? Not because we had a problem, just because it's the way we do. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's just all alert. I mean, you can't say that we, we're not finding anything a challenge. It's just more, I think, post-flood, we have uh, a different baseline for resiliency. So we just look at problems differently now. And, uh, like, for example, we recently had a heat wave. Um, you know, of course, you can see the heat wave is a challenge. But, you know, our, our microclimate, um, has a, it's just extreme <laughs> and so it is the way it is <laughs> and so now we have tools tools that we can rely on um uh, you know we've, we've been farming for a really short time so you know we don't have a, a like a, a deep wealth of experience to draw from but our, the experiences that we have had in a short time have been varied <laughs> and deep um and so and so like luigi says we now have a a tool um tools at our disposal um from experience and from learning the land that we just you know quickly apply um here and there one of the biggest ones um that we we do and i'm probably skipping ahead here i know luigi does want to talk about this more is observe and interact you know so yes the, the heat wave happened um slowly getting bigger I asked Luigi, should we do anything about it um, more specifically, you know, with the plants or with the chickens? And he's like, uh, I'm currently observing. 
I'm currently observing um, and, and let, let's see how we go. So, you know, that that instantly puts me in a nervous state because for me it's like we're not acting, you know, this is this is happening, we're not acting. But, when, you know, observe and interact is a principle that we've relied on numerous times from permaculture. Um, and, again, it's just, it's you know, it's a, it's a principle and a tool to, to remind ourselves that we just need to be patient, we just need to watch, we just need to observe, we just need to um, be a little bit slower instead of, you know, throwing a solution very quickly in a panicked state. You just have to slow down a bit and just, you know, watch and wait and then act at the right time. And that's exactly what he did. Um, you know, so, uh, so yeah, again, you know, you, you could call it challenges, but it's, I think it's just a reminder that it's continual learning um, and you're, you're constantly, I don't know, responding to your landscape where we've chosen to live. It's, an, it's a relationship. It's a continual relationship. I just love that, you know, in a sense, a very um, understandable reframing, perhaps, of challenge as opportunity. And again, I've I've heard this uh, theme coming out from other guests. But essentially, you know, you're nimble, to use a term. I mean, that might sound like an unusual term, just come to the top of my head. You can act and, and adapt very quickly because of that intentional focus. You're, you're closely focused on the uh, property all the time you're you're observing minute changes etc cetera, etc cetera. you've got that feedback and so you can act and adapt very quickly and it's and it's working i'm hearing that basically you're ahead of the game in terms of your growing work you've been new to this field but you you in a very relatively short time you've produced excellent results demonstrated results in terms of what you grow down there at the patch organic so it speaks for itself so on that very happy and optimistic note Let's, in the last section of this great interview, let's now shift the focus to the future. The question is, what does the future hold for you and your property? Look, so let's, uh, uh, again, put it in context. The Patch Organics, that's the name of our business. And it's based on three pillars. Uh, pillar one, it's the veggies. Pillar two is the chicken meat. Pillar three is the workshops. Now, a natural uh, path uh, for us is um, once this is set, once the veggie garden is at max production and it is now uh, full production, uh, the chicken business, we are going to expand to double it and expand it to 400 chickens a month uh, by next year. So there will be a max capacity for our life, what we like. Uh, the third pillar is the workshop. So that's where uh, our future is. We need more. We need more of the small scale producing superfood for humans. This is possible. It is cheap. It is a reasonable investment. Uh, and in our case, is giving us soon uh, the same wage we were getting in the city before. So this is very possible. What people need is a little bit more mentoring and definitely more knowledge and experience to be shared. So here we are. Uh, we are moving a natural path for us. We'll be moving into consulting and sharing experience and knowledge through workshops. Um, so, yeah, so we will have more of those little systems. Our tagline for the workshops pillar is to increase community resilience. 
Essentially, our tagline for the business itself is to increase community resilience. And we're doing that on the health front with the nutrient-dense food from the chickens and the veggies. And we're doing that on the community side with the education, um, with the workshops. So helping the community increase their own self-resilience by giving them the skills and the knowledge they need um, to, you know, support themselves, um, yeah, by growing their own food, by doing it themselves. What we were talking before about the spirituality is uh, we humans can create our future. We can actually create our reality. Now, I'm, I'm maybe going a bit too deep into the, uh, the potential of the human being, but let's leave it there. If we can create our reality, well, that's what, what I ask myself. What reality do I want around me? Well, I want happy people around me. I like to be surrounded by sad people. I want healthy people around me, right? I want a community that uh, collaborates. So here we are. So we are doing our part in creating this community or helping. Then, then it will become my reality. Um, yeah. I, again, folks, I just love this because, again, it just uh, – I know I'm keeping you harping on about holism because holism is my sort of concept from environmental science, but everything is connected to everything else. Again, it's clear from both your interview, as, as you've been talking, but also other interviews, that biodynamics at its best is a generous growing practice. It's generous in the sense that it's growing not just for financial gain and financial return, and everyone has to make a living, but it's generous in the sense that – it sees part of its role as growing community connection, of growing community capacity, of giving something back to the community. I mean, and what more could you give back to the community than setting up a process of producing highly nutritious food that actually conserves the plants and animals, the biodiversity of an area that actually uh, locks up more carbon out of the atmosphere, hence, to some extent, making a contribution to climate change disruption, but also brings people together. And I've heard this, um, you know, with other guests, little communities being fostered around this stuff, whether it's the the stirring practices, um, you know, the preparation of stuff or, or just the, you know, the curiosity and these new methods of more environmentally protective growing. You're fostering community connection. And, you know, clearly you've got this passion and desire to get out there and spread the good word, the literally good word about this. And you're going to be doing this on and at uh the patch organics in the future that's uh, really inspiring to hear that so look just now naturally flowing into the last couple of questions in this excellent interview um just let's stay with that you you know you, you in effect you've given a bit of a plug there for these courses um and let's put some uh links to those i know you've got a course coming up in november i noticed on your website on uh, the patch organics but we'll put a link to uh your your business link there on facebook and perhaps uh, on the web as well but any other specific advice it would, it would sound to me like if you are down in the bellingen area or not too far away from it or within a certain traveling radius get down onto one of your workshops uh, and get and get the good oil as it were from you directly but other advice that you might want to offer to listeners as we start to come up to the end of this interview. People who are growing already or, or intending to go into biodynamic growing, what, where can they get more advice and um, information? Look, and a, a general advice that I will give to 
anyone, doesn't matter even if you are growing or not, or doesn't even matter if you are a farmer or not, go and get a permaculture course done. The permaculture will give you a structure. You were saying before that we are here basically bringing back old ancient knowledge and techniques. Yes, but we need a modern structure to understand us. So here we are permaculture. Now, once you study, once you get your uh, permaculture design certificate, you're going to get given a wardrobe, which is full of tools and techniques. Now, my second advice there is, don't do what I did. The first tool that has to go in your wardrobe is by the night. So you now have a structure of how you see it, and then you have the first main tool. All other tools will be applied to context. Biodynamics will apply in any context. So we start from there. And I'm saying, even if you're not a farmer, even if you are a, a cafe, and you have a few flowers in front of your cafe, you should put biodynamic preps on those flowers. All right, there's no way. That's going to enhance the life force around you. And your cafe will probably be permaculture design. Mm -hmm. So it will produce no waste. And it will be for the benefit of the community. So we're moving here, as you can tell, Andrew, <clears throat> with this new way, <clears throat> sorry, with this new way of seeing and doing stuff, we're moving from an idea of a competitive human being into a new paradigm of a collaborating human being. And so here are we biodynamics again. We are meant to collaborate to each other for the benefit mm. of each other, not to compete, to compete to do what? Yeah, it's like there is a real paradigm shift happening where the past has been all about competition because the prevalent idea is that there aren't enough resources to go around. And the new, the new prevalent, uh, you know, frame of being has to be, there's more than enough resources to go around. There is abundance everywhere. And so if you start practicing abundance, if you have abundance in your home, in your backyard, in your little pot plants, then you, you start um, embodying abundance and then sharing sharing that same idea now of course you know i say that i've um, been very privileged people living here in beautiful Belgium, new south wales australia um, um but i think for those people that are privileged it's even more important to start embodying this embodying this idea of abundance and and can I just say, folks, I, I mean, you know, this is backed up. We've said before uh, earlier in the interview, look, it takes time to change mindsets. Uh, some some of these ideas about whether it's conventional agricultural practice, whether it's conventional economic practice. I mean, you know, it takes the, these ideas have been around for decades. They're lodged in the minds of a lot of lot of people within the culture. They're very hard to shift. But, you know, that sense of something has to change. We're all aware that you know, the current models of, of development, be they economic, agriculture, whatever, just are not cutting it anymore. They're not fit for purpose. So, you know, I mean, that that's what you're pointing at, I think. is that is that Would that be fair to say? Oh, definitely. And I think this circles back to our, in the initial question that you asked me and we started talking about structural change in particular, how we are 
you know, and, you know, Luigi was saying that no farmer sets out, you know, consciously degrading their farmland. Um, but we are all a product of our environment. We're all a product of our families, of our, the, the wh- where we're born, when we're born, the education system that we grew, we, we went through. Um, and so after you go through all of that, like many people, I mean, we hit the wall as well. You hit a wall. You hit this feeling like you said something needs to change. You you hit an edge. And I guess that's where, as Luigi was saying, you know, you have to get re-educated. 100%. For us, it was that permaculture course that we did five years ago. Um, the other thing that I wanted to stress is that so many people go through this change because they feel disconnected as well. I think um, this this sense of disconnection and this need to connect to something or feel more connected to something is really strong. We don't, can't necessarily, we don't know how to articulate it. We don't know um, what it means to be connected. You know, a lot of people, you know, go to permaculture or biodynamics, start growing gardens because innately, intuitively, they know that somewhere down that nature plants growing things is the answer but once again you don't know how to articulate it you know and so that's why biodynamics anthroposophy come into play because that connection that they they're looking for that they can feel through the act of gardening is actually this idea of of reconnecting to your spirituality um and so you know, like again, re-educating yourself is so incredibly important because um, we've hit a line in the sand. Something needs to change. We don't have the tools, the know-how, because of the context. So you just need to get re-educated, and I think new doors and new new spaces of being come into play. And I think, folks, that you know that could stand for the question I'm going to ask you finally. And if if you feel that you've already answered it, I think that was a fantastic take-home message for listeners about how to actually start this process, you know, at a bigger picture level. But just to give you the final opportunity, do you have any more take-home messages, in a sense, perhaps a few sentences, which could help bring your ideas on biodynamics together? We've covered so much material in this brilliant interview, but nonetheless. Anything that might help you reinforce what you've talked about today, just to leave that in the ears of listeners as they leave this this interview. Look, depending how serious you are and uh, how much changes you want to apply in your life or work uh, or farming activities, uh, if you are very, very, very serious, and then I will start again, as I said, with taking a permaculture designer course. That's just a life-changing education there. That's what happened to us. Uh, but on a more of a, a small action, not in terms of value, but in terms of uh, easy to do, uh, subscribe with BAA. Just get a subscription there. Buy your first prep. Put it in your compost if you have a compost warm tower or whatever you have. If you're doing compost teas, put the compost balls in there. If you have a market garden like us or a big, bigger, maybe you want to get some soil activator in, some atmospheric spray in. So, look, the, the message from Rudolf Steiner was clear. Put the preps out. 
He doesn't talk about content. Put it on your lawn, put it on your flowers, put it on your farm, on your garden beds, on your 500 acres farm, it doesn't matter. Put the preps out. But as I said, nowadays in 2023, we need to have a structure to be able to think properly. We, we, we're too biased uh, nowadays. So uh, using my wife's word, going very re-educated as we did, it's very important, yeah. And one last thing for me is if you don't have access to land, then one really important thing that you can do is go online to Sustainable Table. On there is a regenerative farming map. It shows you all of the farms in Australia. Is it global? I'm just trying to think. Well, I only looked at Australia because that's my context. It shows you all of the regenerative farms that have subscribed to regenerative growing practices and they have identified themselves and they're on that map. And so if you know if there's a farm around you, in and around you, or if you can purchase um, produce from that farm, then that's one very big step into supporting a, a, a new shift in agriculture, in, in supporting regenerative agriculture, which is what we need. Folks, uh, fantastic last few nuggets of advice there uh, and information for listeners to digest as we now wrap up this marvellous interview. Luigi and Nidia, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. I know you are absolutely certain you've given our audience such a fantastic smorgasbord of inspiring ideas which can help them take their next steps toward learning more about biodynamics or developing their own growing methods based on the fascinating range of more environmentally protective approaches that biodynamics has to offer. Your unique story today, along with those of other guests in the series, has helped describe how biodynamic growing methods are important in their ability to regenerate the biological health of soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity and work in harmony with Mother Nature. And so, Luigi and Nija, folks, it's now time to say goodbye. On behalf of both the podcast production and funding support organisations which made this podcast possible, they are Householders Options to Protect the Environment, that's Hope Incorporated Australia, and good old Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited, which is right down there on your doorstep, but of course is accessible via its website with all of those fantastic resources that Luigi mentioned, the preparations, the um, network contacts, the membership, uh, you know, sort of contacts that people can, can make there. Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited, I want to thank you so very much, you folks, for our conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. You've been listening to an episode in the podcast series Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia. The series was produced by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Incorporated Australia, with the generous funding support of Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited. It has been a pleasure to help raise awareness of some of the environmentally protective values of biodynamic growing practice in its ability to regenerate the biological health of soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity and work in harmony with Mother Nature. Please consult the episode show notes for possible follow-up material on topics discussed in interview and any relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you have heard. 
And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider promoting it across your networks and giving it a positive rating in your preferred podcast app. You can also give us feedback via the short five-minute online survey using the link also available in the show notes. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.